Hello, and welcome to the Pragmatic Product Chat series, where we tackle the biggest challenges facing today's product management, product marketing, and other market and data-driven professionals with some of the best minds in the industry. I am Rebecca Calajaris, Vice President of Marketing and Product Strategy at Pragmatic Institute, and your host for this episode. Today, I'm extremely excited because we are going to talk to Diane Pearson, Pragmatic Institute instructor and market strategist, about what she calls moving beyond the persona listening to innovate. Welcome, Diane. Great to be here, Rebecca. It is always a pleasure to have you. Uh, If you've not had the pleasure of sitting in Diane's classroom, you definitely should. She always brings so much enthusiasm to it and also a great deal of experience and stories to the place. So this is going to be a good conversation. You know, and I agree. It's always good to hear Rebecca's perspective on these things, too. So I'm looking forward to it. Awesome. All right. When we talk about beyond the persona listening to innovate, you know, you say beyond the persona. Does that mean like you think they're not valuable anymore? We're moving past that. That's passe. No, not at all. Personas are really valuable. They're the best way to crystallize that common view of buyers and users for internal teams. It's just that you don't get the whole picture from personas. We always start with personas and their problems. That is the place to start. But if you want to innovate, you're going to need to listen to other people in the market and also listen for different things. Interesting you say innovate too, right? Because lots of people, I mean, it's like such a buzzword. Nobody wants to be like, no, I, I don't want to innovate. That's not true. Sure. But, but it can mean a lot of different things, right? It's not just shiny, shiny new things that we're all chasing. Well, when you say innovate, what do you mean? You know, that's a good place to start. We always start with our common language. So what are we talking about when we say innovate? A lot of organizations confuse innovation with invention. So let's, let's just start there for a minute. Invention is generally agreed to be the initial creation or discovery of of a product or a process. They're actually not so much products as they are enabling technologies or ways of doing things. Things like, uh, well, like cloud computing or mRNA. They're, They're certainly productized by some companies, but they're used to redefine or enable a huge variety of things like small business software products, and vaccines, those particular examples respectively. So innovation on the other hand, occurs when something somebody improves on or makes a significant contribution to an existing product process or service or or solves a problem that everybody knows about but hasn't been able to solve. So in pragmatic terms, this means solving a market problem that was previously unsolvable or solving it in a different way so significantly different that the market considers abandoning what it used before. And so for businesses, this this doesn't mean just leaping off a cliff and doing something that no market problem has been established for. For businesses, this really means, is there some way to solve these problems we've all known about but couldn't solve? Or is a new problem emerging in the markets that we serve or or the personas that we serve today, that we might actually be able to solve for them. That's the way I think about innovation in pragmatic terms. When I think about that, why the makes it really clear why innovate is so important, right? That is where you really differentiate yourself than the competition. And I think what when we think about pragmatic, it is that differentiated, but that is grounded in market problems. So you're not differentiating for differentiation's sake, right? We're doing it differently, but but it doesn't necessarily better or nobody really wanted it, right? Then you get that fear of pickup, but it's really about being able to kind of 
get your own space in the market because there's such a leap forward, but it's such a leap forward in the direction that the market was hoping you could go. You know, Rebecca, I think that's exactly right because what we're really trying to do, invention is about just creation. Whereas innovation is much more market-driven. It is still about solving problems for markets. It's just how, how far out is that window or, or what, what exists today that nobody has solved? So it, it certainly is, is the new, it's the different, it's the frontier, but it is the frontier of a country you are trying to travel in, I guess yes. is a good way to put it. Yeah, no, absolutely. So then when we're thinking about innovate, right, which then it's, it's, it's a place we do want to get to, what do we have to listen for? How do we innovate? You know, everybody knows the Henry Ford quote that he may or may not have said uh, about like listening to people and what they want and not being able to hear maybe the innovation. What are, when you're saying like let's listen in order to figure out where to innovate, what are, what is that? What are the kind of key considerations there? You know, there there are several, and one of them it starts inside the building. So we're going to start inside the building because the first thing is you got to align with your leadership on whether innovation is what you're really trying to do. Most organizations want to innovate. We feel like we we should innovate, but most aren't executing market research and funding the experiments that actually lead to innovation. I actually last week was working with one of our uh, clients at Pragmatic and it's a mid-level leadership team, really bright group of people, but they were talking about how their teams are frustrated Their executives are talking about, hey, we need to be more innovative. We need to find that next big thing. And the product managers are delivering idea after idea. But the executives aren't doing anything with them. And and they keep coming back to, well, yeah, but we have to solve this first. Or, you know, our biggest customer wanted this. And here's the thing with that. If you end up working on bug fixes and minor enhancements to existing products and, and talking about and spending all your energy thinking about innovation, you're really doing both of those a disservice. There's nothing wrong with focusing on improving existing products for existing customers. It carries its own risks, but so does being an innovator. What is wrong, not to mention wasteful and demoralizing is saying one thing and then doing the other. So let's say everybody is on board. The whole organization is aligned around wanting to be innovative. What needs to be different and how do you listen to your market? I guess to me, this has always come back to, it's more about what you listen, who you listen to and what you listen for. Because most organizations, and we say this in class a lot, most organizations tend to over-listen to users and over-listen to existing customers. Those are the, the very people who are most invested in the status quo. They're the ones who want things to be incrementally different, incremental small changes and improvements. Again, nothing wrong with that, but it's, it's not innovation. It's really hard to get those folks to step back and have a strategic discussion. And sometimes if they're the users of your products, they might not even be involved in setting strategy or, or be charged with looking to the future. So uh, make no mistake, listening to innovate is about solving problems for the market. But you probably need to talk to some different people and ask them some different things. Brought up a lot of good points there, right? Like, I think one thing that sometimes we can feel like when executives throw out innovate, it's also like when they throw out strategic, like we need to be more strategic. And you're thinking like, 
we are doing those things. And it can feel like just this rock that, that, that one of my, one of my good friends used to say like, Oh, they just told me to go fetch a rock and I fetch a rock and I bring it back. And they're like, not that rock. And I got to go do it again. And I'm like, Oh, that, that can feel like that. Um, and I think part of it is, is you're talking about is the scale of where we're putting the innovation. And maybe there's a different perspective of, you know, I'm innovating in a, in a small place that the existing customers might be thinking of, or I'm, I'm taking the big leap innovation, which is maybe the only one that the exec team is, is recognizing as innovation and that different scale can really lead to, to, uh, to that feeling that you're in a loop. It can, you know, one of the things we always talk about common language, we started with common language. What do you mean by innovate? What does a big idea mean to you? I've worked in organizations where a big idea was, you know what, if this thing could bring in $5 million next year, that would be phenomenal. I've also worked in organizations where our CFO has spoken at at leadership meetings and said, big ideas for our company at this time are are going to be those things that bring in $50 million or more. Mm. But, you know, just that definition helps. And then that focus on certain markets or certain regions or or certain types of products like software or hardware or solutions, creating that focus, that that strategic alignment on where are we pointing that energy and and what do we mean by a big idea? That alone is going to help everybody do a better job. It's not constricting. It's actually enabling. I used to call it putting your thumb over the garden hose. You're, you're not trying to spray everything because you don't have the resources to do that, but you do want to, to spend a lot of time and effort and, and probably money and resources in a certain area if you want to be innovative. So you got to figure out what that's yeah. going to be. Absolutely. So let's, let's assume that we're thinking, you know, the, the mid to large, right? And, and then if we're talking about that and in innovation, then as you said, the users of our existing products, that's not the perspective they bring. So who should we be listening to? Talk to the people who are looking ahead. So beyond the users and and to the leaders of those organizations and functions. So uh, for example, you might sell products. I'm going to talk about law firms, I guess, because that's that's a a, a market that I used to deal with a lot. So if you think about that, the users of our products were associates and paralegals and legal assistants. Really valuable to understand existing products. But to innovate, we needed to speak to managing partners, the heads of their IT departments, and the marketers for the law firm. So in in some ways, these are actually, of course, still personas, but they're probably not the users and they might not even be the buyers. Maybe, you know, actually, maybe what we need are leader personas. That might be a good thing. Uh, Maybe we need to listen to the leader personas. Maybe we need to listen to functional personas. There might be people who aren't involved in today's conversations, that when you're innovating, you need to build personas on. So it's, when you say beyond the persona, it's not beyond the idea of personas as much as beyond the idea of your, it's beyond your existing personas, the user personas, the buyer personas that are really close to your ecosystem and thinking further ahead. Exactly. Exactly right. Great. All right. So we're going to talk to these, these expanded persona groups. What am I, what am I going to talk about? What am I listening for when I talk to these people? Well, it goes back to that same idea of the personas and and what view they have, what focus they have. People who are using our products are performing their roles and are valuable sources. But if you're talking to these leaders, we are going to ask different questions. So we want to talk about changes, new directions, new concerns. So we're going to ask these leaders leading questions. 
So uh, how, here's some examples, I guess. Uh, how are they going to expand their business in the next three years? How is their industry evolving? Are they planning on implementing any new platform technology that perhaps we might need to interoperate with or going to cause gaps in what they do today? How is their role or their responsibilities or how is their industry evolving? Are priorities shifting? It's not so much, as you said, beyond the persona as it is beyond the persona you build today. Mm. Well, that's true. I'm just... Yeah, it's really a way to, to move forward and to extend even the, your target audience. If, if you're just talking to the existing personas, that's where you're going to stay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we're, we're trying to get past that. You know, if, if we're trying to become something more to our markets, well, it's like lifting the horizon. If I'm not looking to the next gas station or the next small town, I'm looking to where are we trying to get? And that might be states and states away. Yeah. Okay. So who else, anyone else that we should be listening to in this process? You know, I think that might be one of the biggest things we need to do because we are still talking about the markets. We're still talking about people inside the companies that you probably deal with today. So absolutely. Innovators are going to connect the dots from emerging or unsolved problems to their emerging ability to solve them. So there are other people to talk to and there are other things to listen for. So these emerging or unsolved problems, they're going to come from those leaders for sure, but they might also come from laws and regulations. Mm. They might come from consumer or social cultural shifts, uh, assumptions about how people can buy things, how that whole buying experience happens, how they get a product, maybe even how they use it, Uh, evolving communication channels, changing market priorities. So you have to listen there. So that's going to include understanding what's going on in your market as a market, the function those folks perform, and the roles they play in various workflows. If we go back to my law firm example, that would mean understanding not just the leadership of the law firm, but changes in how law firms are regulated. So what are they able to do as law firms? What's what's legal and not legal? How, How do lawyers perform their jobs? How do they bill for their time? How are their markets changing? What are their markets expecting? All of those could open up real innovative opportunities for us to serve that market. So maybe, again, if we go back to those personas, maybe we create a market and a role persona. Maybe something like, in this example I'm giving, uh, large law firms in Peru or the job of being a paralegal. Maybe we need to have personas that look like that, too. Also listen to those who regulate or validate membership in your market. So with law firms, that would be things like state and federal regulations, but also bar requirements, continuing legal education. All of those things are often mandated. So how are those mandates changing? All of these things are just that that slightly bigger perspective that allow you to begin to find the synergies, but also the gaps both in the competition, in their needs, and and what's coming maybe two, three years down the road. Interesting. I could definitely see, right, we're talking about innovation and and finding those emerging problems are going to keep you on on the front end. But one of the other things I think we think about when we talk about innovation, or some of us think of, that innovation is could just be an innovative solution to an existing problem, right? We talk about our new design course and we think about solution and and putting innovation in that process. And I'm I'm curious about how that sort of, and the solutions to those fits into uh, 
the innovation thinking and, and cycle? You know, that's actually one of the, the coolest places. And, and it's very fun because that problem exists. It's often one of the easiest things to get leadership buy-in for and funding for too, because the problem exists. It's not going to exist where let's face it, you know, two years down the road, things could be really different, uh, particularly in the times we're living in today, but that's always true. And so if a problem already exists and we all know it exists and we just haven't been able to figure out how to solve it, boy, that's an exciting thing. So thinking about and listening for, for solution options, this is where that invention comes in. Invention is happening all the time, which means you as a product team member have more tools in your toolbox than you had before to solve problems. So the solutions to problems can come from a lot of sources. Technology, changes in regulations, cultural shifts. So you don't need to be, as a product team member, you don't have to be an, an IT expert, a pricing expert, or even a marketing expert, but you do need to know what's coming, what, what tools are being built in those areas that might help you solve your market's problems better. Early in my career, I remember spending a lot of brain cells, we all did, on how can we build this kind of software for this kind of market? Usually it was something like a really small market, solo law practitioners, that, that one lawyer who hangs out a shingle in, in a town, and we know they need things, but we couldn't figure out how to solve them at a price they could pay. Well, cloud computing made that possible. All of a sudden, solo law firms, authors, small businesses, consultants, there's all sorts of software available for them that, you know, 15 years ago, you just couldn't have done. So innovators are also, though, going to look beyond that technology. The technology is a really good thing to look at, but we can also tend to overfocus there. Sometimes the very best innovation comes with new pricing or new delivery models. Mm. This is also exciting because you might not have to build anything to disrupt a market. Some seriously big companies and entire industries have been disrupted because innovators saw the market and, and they figured out what they were ready to do in terms of buying, paying, receiving, and using the very same product they were using today. If you think about it, one of my favorite examples, I always use this in class, is, is Netflix and Blockbuster. And we talk about them a lot, but there were a lot of things Netflix did to solve problems that Blockbuster didn't. But initially, Netflix disrupted Blockbuster, it ended them by selling the exact same product. So the product was the same at the time they started. It wasn't streaming. It was discs, first DVDs, then Blu-rays. They sold the exact same product, but they priced it differently and they delivered it differently. There are B2B examples of this too, Slack. What Slack did was they offered a freemium product to individuals who worked in groups at big companies. Now, you think about that, well, those people aren't gonna make the decisions, but more and more of them started using Slack and they went to their leadership and said, hey, look, we're all using this, but we're getting to the point where we need more than the freemium model. It was genius what they did. They had competition trying to sell from the top down. They went to the bottom, if you will. They went to the actual users. They marketed differently. They had a different uh, format. And it was so exciting because they, were huge, they are hugely successful because of that. So the message here is it's not really a different type of persona, but it certainly is asset inventory. 
which is one of the activities mm-hmm. on the framework. This is why asset inventory is so important to a product team. We often think, oh, you know, what a pain. Why do that? But just a, like a quarterly update of these different facets, getting with your leadership team in these functional areas, getting an update on what's new, what they're seeing, you might find a way to solve a market problem where you don't have to build a thing. It is, I think, I think you're right. I think we all think of it as like, oh, asset inventory, that feels more administrative, more things. And I think we all come to this, you know, I've, I've been here a very long time at this point, And I know like in my mind, all the things we have, and yet you also know it and forget it at the same time. And just really taking the time to step back and look at, oh gosh, okay, I have these things. How else can I leverage them? As you point out, powerful ability to disrupt. You know, I agree. And I think that whole idea of, we, we probably know we have it in the back of our minds. I think that's a good point too. It's just, well, you can't remember everything that's out there and every option you have. But if you start accumulating that list, like you said, you can go, oh yeah, wow. Hey, I forgot about that, but we could probably use that to solve this problem. Right. I mean, for heaven's sakes, any marketer listening does that all the time with collateral. And you're like, oh wait, we did solve this problem. Let me go find that piece of collateral that exists. The more budget, yeah, yes. exactly. The more budget constraints you're under, the more you, you're good at that. And, yes. and I think product teams, yeah, I, I think that's a great analogy. <laughs> So let's, uh, let's, let's, again, thinking of product times, thinking of our beloved listeners, how can product managers fill this gap and get the information that we're talking about here? Like what specifically is their role in this process? Well, you know, their role is what we always say it is, which is you've got to understand, you've got to gather, organize, analyze, prioritize, and articulate the market problems. So this is, this is extending that discussion a little bit farther out. So instead of just users and buyers even, go to those leaders, find out about the industry and the regulations, build up that asset inventory. So ask yourselves though, where are we trying to focus this energy? Because this is a lot of work. So where can you get this information? You can get it from the sources that other people do. So you can certainly get it from the markets that you serve, but also, the markets that they serve. So what's going on in their customer's world? How could that either put your products at risk or or demand that you shift or change? What else are they doing in those organizations that you serve? So what is going on in their IT departments? What's going on in their marketing departments? Those are the kinds of things that give you those inspirations. So you can find them inside the organization. You can find it in their value chain regulators, government, uh, associations, experts, those are some of the places you can go to get this information. You can also just be inspired by other industries, just like talking about Slack or or Blockbuster and Netflix. Ask yourself when you talk about those, those really amazing changes, disruptions in the market, what are the elements that changed? Could we do something like that? Just take a moment, five, 10 minutes even, and brainstorm it. How could we use that element, pricing, distribution, uh, product packaging, to change what we do? Who knows what you might come up with? So you're talking, I mean, a lot of the things we're talking about is market research and the research. And that kind of sounds like, it's kind of like a lot of research, right? Uh, How can product work do this, right? And we have a lot of other things that we have to do as product people, right? So how how does the product team do all this? How do we find the time? How do we make it happen? the, the most important thing there is, is the thing that we talk about in focus class, which is focus. <laughs> you, 
you know, that's one of the reasons why we spend an entire day on focus is because most organizations don't focus well. It's so tempting when to, to listen to everybody and, and try to find everything. It's really hard to say, we're not going to listen to these people. We're going to listen to those people mm. because it sounds like, well, but, but you have to listen to all these folks. You have to acknowledge we cannot, we don't have unlimited budgets and resources. So choose a market or an audience segment that you believe would be high opportunity and dig in. The good news is the intention is to find emerging opportunities. So the cumulative effort of a little work each week will get you better results in this case than one giant fire drill research project anyway. One of the best elements of, of this whole idea of innovation is, is change over time. Change over time is something that, that you've got to listen to in, in bite-sized chunks. Yeah. No, and, you know, when you step back and you see the results of that, you can see the innovation, even if it's sometimes harder to see it up close. But one of the things I think you said there that was really powerful, we talk a lot about in focus and, and build about prioritization. Right, but generally we're talking about prioritization of the outputs, what features. But I think you're spot on that it's equally important for us to prioritize the inputs and where we're going to invest and spend the time on the research because we can't talk to everybody. Let's really think about the most valuable segments and how to get those, the sort of the, the cross-learning that we want to. Excellent point. Well, and I, I love that you you said that because that's it was a much better way of saying exactly what I meant, which is. <laughs> You know, they're just, there are weak spots in what we do. And, and one piece of it is we don't plan this gathering of information as well as we should. We tend to just gather what we've always gathered and, and hope for the best. And, and we hear it, build it, hear it, build it. Innovation probably won't happen that way. Yeah. Okay. I think this also brings up one of the other things that that is not just a challenge in this area. It's just a challenge for product teams in general is there's one thing to kind of get the learning and find it. It's another about how do I communicate it with the organization? How do I help the executives understand why that this is where to go and that it is in fact innovative? You know, I, I've been using this word a lot lately that is layers. <laughs> I, you have to layer this into an organization. It's not something where we can kind of do a Vulcan mind meld. Uh, for those of you who are Star Trek fans, Spock used to put his hand on Kurt's shoulder and just, just push everything into his brain. We can't do that. That'd be a cool thing to find. It if we would ever be. have technology for that, <laughs> that would be pretty cool. But my point here is layers. Uh, how many points where others in the organization hear about the market? So put a plan in place, something realistic based on the amount of resources you have. So how much of all of your time is going to be spent on communication? Establish an amount of time and, and have a plan. Allow for new employees to get up to speed, for example, with an introduction to your markets. Current employees are going to need to dive deeper, and also they're going to all need to get new information as something comes up. Personas are great, but maybe it's not a PDF. Maybe it's a video. Maybe it's something they can just listen to while they're doing their exercise in the morning. Maybe a couple of videos as part of onboarding, adding market data to various workflow tools like Salesforce and Teams and Slack. Put it where they can find it, give them what they need to empower them to do their jobs better. Make sure that you've got materials or methods like all hands meetings where you can talk about what's changed. But, but the point is just as intentionally as you're going to gather this, you definitely do have to have a communication plan. And these layers also mean you're never going to know everything. 
if for the simple reason that you might know everything today, mm. but something's going to change tomorrow. So we all need to acknowledge that we need to know you're going to start this process and boy, there's going to be so much more that you don't know than you do, but you're a successful organization. You're profitable already. So layer it in and get better and better and better. Tell the organization here are where our blind spots are and here's how we're prioritizing filling them. So whether it's innovation or, or nurturing those existing customers, that's, that's probably good advice for everybody. Love that. All right. So we talk about how to find innovation, how to think about the innovative solutions for it. We talk about getting the rest of the organization kind of on board with it. We also have to sometimes get the market on board with it, right? Because innovation, it could be, they can be leery of the next big thing, right? Like, is this the next big thing? Is it really going to make my solution? It's harder. Is it, you know, there's, there's a curve to learn it. All of those reasons. How do we, how do we get the market to see the advantage of what we're talking about? No, that's a great question because sometimes we get really excited about this and we start to build. So (laughs) always remember, we always have to pull innovation, even disruptive innovation back to the point that we have to have some knowledge that the innovation is possible. And innovation doesn't mean just building it. It means the market will adopt it and and love it. So you've got to set internal owner's expectations that this is going to take longer If the organization has said we have an appetite for innovation, that should mean that they have an appetite for something going to market and not generating generating revenue for a while. But we are still solving market problems. That is the most important thing about innovation, even disruptive innovation. You're still solving a problem. Your market data has either shown you that something is on the horizon and you've connected dots or it's been there forever and you just hadn't been able to figure out a way to solve it. So this is all still based on discovery and validation. And so you're finding patterns and trends. It's a little bit different than, than iterative, but it's, it's still about the market. So you've got to do that due diligence first, discovery and validation, then anticipate a launch that is perhaps multi-phase. You're going to have to start with things like awareness, perception, trials. So, so the, the launch goals are going to be different. And you're going to have more launch goals than you would with something that is a release to a product that people have been loving for 10 years. So if the organization is aligned around innovation, understanding where revenue comes in innovation, it's not next quarter, it's maybe a year from now. If they understand that their launches are multi-phase, and we also just come back to those first principles of we're still solving problems for the market. I think we're, we're, able to get to the market when they're ready for us and, and keep our organization aligned around it. That's a, another, another really good point, Diane. I think uh, organizations expect the creation of innovative solutions to take longer, but I think they expect them to hit market value, return on, you know, kind of return on investment faster once they launch, right? As I think they're like, it's mind-blowingly innovative. Everyone will buy it tomorrow. And so I think there is, a, can be a real expectation of like, yeah, you can have a little longer to build it, but once it goes, man, that revenue better flow in. And setting that expectation that it's multi-phase, that it is a learning process for them, particularly the more innovative it is, uh, mm-hmm. then especially in a B2B space, I think is a really, really important and a really important conversation to have, right? It's oh, a yeah. bad conversation to have <laughs> a week before launch and be like, no, no, guys, you got this all wrong. Let me show you why. It's, you know, that's the expectation setting from the start. I think that is a really, really good note and and one that we sometimes miss. And for established companies, do you know where you can get that information? Go to your finance buddy. 
Mm. Your finance buddy can go back to every product you've launched for the last five years and tell you exactly how long it took the market to adopt your product mm. and quite possibly do some analysis or go look at analyst reports to see how long it took for them to um, adopt the category. It just gives you a little bit of basis and reality for when people say, well, what do you think this is going to bring in in the next couple of quarters? When your answer has to be nothing, it would be really nice to have that data from your finance buddy. Right. Nothing because that's normal. Right. Yeah, and another reason that your be- finance buddy should be your best buddy. Like, go, if you don't have a finance buddy, go make a finance buddy. Oh, finance buddy is the best friend a product team member will ever make in the organization. IT has got to be your friends. Marketing has got to be your friends. But boy, if you want to get funding and set expectations and talk the language of your leadership, go find a finance buddy. Awesome. All right, Diane, it's been amazing. And we talked about a lot of different things today. If you could get our listeners to do two things differently tomorrow based on what we talked about today, what would they be? Well, the first one would be define what innovation means in your organization. So everybody's aligned on what you're looking for, what markets, uh, what kinds of products at a very high level so that you can focus all that energy. The next thing would be to go out and start gathering it, expand those horizons and maybe go beyond the persona even though you're still building things like market personas or functional personas, or maybe even association personas, but figure out where you're trying to listen and then go do it. It's, it's fun and exciting. And I think we'd get a lot of very cool innovation if we do more of that. All right, Diane, thank you so much. It was absolutely a pleasure having this conversation with you today. It was really fun, Rebecca. Thank you very much. All right. And I guarantee you guys, this will not be the last time we get to listen to Diane on this podcast. So uh, we'll look forward to the next one. And everybody, thank you very much for listening. Don't forget to join us next week when we tackle another great topic designed to help elevate your product, your company, and your career.